you might have the ideas. I could see, you know, this is what we need to be doing. This is where we could go. And I could race ahead and just drive everything. But I'd be looking back and I haven't got people with me. So you have to involve your people. You have to involve the staff, your trustees and other people like your beneficiaries and work with them, coach them, support them to help identify the purpose and to develop your values. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Marcia Philbin, CEO of the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine. She takes us behind the curtain to describe the engaging process and practical tools she used to involve multiple stakeholder groups in developing a new purpose and values for the organization. She also talks about how this contributed to her own personal and professional growth and development. Marcia, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. You're the chief executive of the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine. Um, And then I looked on LinkedIn, and according to LinkedIn anyway, you're not only the chief executive, you're the chief disruptor and chief navigator. So love to hear about all of that. Uh, Maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself. Particularly, I'd be really interested to hear how you see that role of chief executive, because you clearly bring something, I think, really special to it. And then also, just if you can, explain for people who might not understand, including me, what a faculty does and yeah. you know what that's all about. Yeah. So I'll start with myself. I'm Marcia Philbin. I'm a chemist. I've got a degree and PhD in chemistry. And for many, many years, I worked in the Ministry of Defence in research in management and latterly in project management. And then I moved into the, I guess what you call the membership sector, starting off with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, where I was the assistant director for research and policy. And I was there for three years when I saw this intriguing job advertisement for the chief executive of the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine. It appealed to me because I saw it as a scientific arm of medicine. Many of the raw colleges are about clinical delivery. So you have GPs, psychiatrists, pathologists, surgeons. But the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine is focused on the science behind medicines. And that's really appealed to me. So I applied for the job and I was successful. So the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine is the membership body for doctors who mainly work in industry, but also in academia, in regulation, and many still do work in the NHS. But they are involved in the whole aspect of developing, testing new medicines, regulating medicines, and ensuring that they are available for the public. So it's quite a wide reaching discipline. It's quite a new medical specialty, but it's one that is 
really important. And particularly in the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic and probably come on to that later on, where, you know, we've seen the importance of vaccines and medicines, therapeutic medicines, treatments. And so, you know, they play an important role. And the other important thing about pharmaceutical physicians is that the medicines that they develop are for global populations. And that's something else that really appealed to me about this role. What we're doing is helping to create a world where populations have access to medicines to help them live healthy lives. Is that what you'd describe as the organization's purpose, helping populations? Yeah. yeah. So I want to dig into that and sort of how you got to that. But before we do, just for a minute, so the faculty, it sounds like it could have been around since the 1800s, or it could have been just a fairly recent thing. So <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good question. The faculty came out of the Royal College of Physicians, which is actually over 500 years old. And in the Royal College of Physicians, you have a number of specialty areas, and some of these become faculties. Pharmaceutical medicine is one of those faculties. And then it came out of the Royal College of Physicians and became its own independent body. So Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine is an independent charity and a non-incorporated company as well. Mm -hmm. It's a membership organization, if I understand it right. So how many members do you have? We have 1,600 members. So we are one of the smaller faculties. If you compare to the colleges, like for example, the Royal College of Physicians, where we came out of, they have over 30,000 members. Where I was previously, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, they've got about 20,000 members. You have the Faculty of Public Health, which works at a population level too, and they have about 4,000 members. So we're one of the small ones. A couple of minutes ago, you sort of described the organizations, the faculty's purpose. Yeah. I'd be interested in hearing how you went about identifying or developing it. Was that in place before you showed up or is that part of what you've done while you've been there? Just so you can talk us through that. Yes. Yeah, so that is interesting because... When I was investigating Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine for the interview, just to find out more about the organisation, the one thing that I couldn't find was what exactly does it stand for? I know what it does, but why does it exist? Right. So it exists to train physicians who use their unique knowledge to develop, deliver and regulate effective medicines for the global population. But what does that actually really mean in terms of who pharmaceutical physicians are and how they go about doing things? And I realised what was missing. We didn't have any values. What did we actually stand for? So four weeks after I started my role, I asked the board of trustees and other volunteers like the committee chairs and members of the committees, as well as the staff, to undertake a value exercise. Mm -hmm. And... I found this document and it had over a hundred words. I gave this list of words to them and asked them to choose words that reflected their core values. Because the reason you become a pharmaceutical physician, there has to be some inherent drive that pulls you into 
that medical discipline. And that drive is underpinned by your core values. So I wanted to find out what the core values were. And then I took all of these words. And then two weeks later, right, so six weeks after I started (laughs) in my role, I held an away day with the staff. I transcribed all of these words onto post-it notes and put them on the wall and asked the staff to group the words which have a similar value together. And we grouped them into a group of five. I then asked them to choose the words that best described the group. And originally, we came up with five key words. And then I shared this with the board, and they were quite impressed by this. But there was one word which they also wanted to be included. So we had six. And these six words became the FPM values. And the values are professional, innovative, credible, caring, collaborative, and learned. That is the core values of FPM. And in order to remember it, I call it pickle. (laughs) And that's how I remember them. And interestingly, the away day that I held with the staff, I called it, I have a dream, right? (laughs) Because the dream was to have an organization where we understood what we stood for, right? What are our values? This is what we mean. So yes, our core values also help us to define our purpose. And so through those core values. Our purpose is to help the global population have access to medicines which can help them lead a healthy life. Mm. How did you get from the values to that statement of purpose? Because I can see how they line up, but yeah, it seems to me you could take those six values and get lots of other different statements that would line up with it. How did you get to that? Yeah. It's interesting because it's about really understanding why people do things. And the reason why the physicians do what they do is because they want to make sure that the medicines are there and that they're safe and they're effective and they're accessible as well. Also, FPM has its charity objects, ensuring that we set the standards through education and training. Also, being the voice for the public. And so that underpins why we do what we do. And so from that, drew the purpose, and then you overlay that with the values. I could see in my mind you in a room with the post-it notes and grouping them. And is there an equivalent sort of picture of how you got to this statement about global populations, access? Was there an equivalent set of activities or did it just sort of emerge a bit organically or how did that all come about? So that's something that came about later on, actually, and that's through the strategy. Okay. If it came out through the strategy work, let's dig into that in a minute. Well, two things that you said, that word access seems to me really pivotal in all that. Yeah. Because I'm sure you know this a lot better than I ever will. That whole world of pharmaceuticals, medicine seems to be one where there's lots of different points of view. There's big drug companies and they're great. They come up with, they're terrible, you know, drugs are too expensive, you know, all that sort of stuff. That word access just seems to me really pivotal in that. Could you say a few words on how you and the organization hold that? Yes. So access is something is at the core of what pharmaceutical physicians do. They do things like pharmacovigilance, which is looking at the safety. 
But there's also this other arm where many pharmaceutical physicians work, which is called medical affairs. And this is about translating the benefits of the medicine so that it's understood not only by clinicians and they know how to use those medicines, how to prescribe them to the public. But it's also providing the information to help the public understand what the medicine is and how it can help them and what they should and shouldn't do, how they should take it. Because, you know, when you open up your medicine, you get these leaflets about what the medicine does. Mm. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. But I'm glad you've asked this question about access because there's another dimension. And this dimension emerged during the pandemic. And it's about who has access to medicines. And one thing the pandemic showed in the UK, mm -hmm. it's not everybody has access to good quality healthcare, but also to the treatments that they need. And that can be because they're from a lower socioeconomic background, because of race, but also how we develop medicines for women. Many of the medicines that have been developed, and if you look at the populations where clinical trials are carried out on, is it representative of the population? And we see this with black and minority ethnic people. And if you look at the lower and middle income countries, again, the pandemic showed how little access and how little voice they have in accessing medicines for their population. To this day, how many of those populations in Africa, for example, in the various countries in Africa, have access to the COVID-19 vaccine. I can imagine in South Africa, yes, because it's more developed, but in those much poorer countries, mm -hmm. how many have had access? Very few. Yeah. So maybe we can dig into strategy. Clearly, you were there four weeks. You started work on values. When did you start the work on strategy? How did it come about? How did you go at it? What came out of it? So the old strategy is coming to an end. So last summer, summer 2021, I started thinking we need to develop the new strategy. So I started 18 months ahead and I posed three questions to the staff, to the trustees and the volunteers. The three questions were, look ahead. What is coming over the horizon? Look across, who should we be working with and who do we need to engage? And the third one was to look around. Is FPM ready to meet the challenge? So those are the three questions that I sent out and asked for input. COVID-19 was still going on. So our annual symposium in November 21 was held online again. We had about 150, 160 attendees. I had a session where I was presenting. So I posed a question to them, and this was called Postcards to the Future. And so I said, imagine that we're in 2030, King Charles III was on the throne. At that time, I didn't know that was going to happen. And Boris Johnson is doing something else because he was prime minister at the time. So what does success look like in FPM in 2030? What challenges did FPM face? How did FPM overcome those challenges? And then what advice would you give the CEO? 
So this is a postcard that you've written in 2030, and you're going to send it back to the CEO to saying, this is what you look like in 2030. This is how you got there. And these are the challenges that you face. And this is how you overcame them. That was really, really rich, engaging discussion. And so taking the responses from the survey where the look ahead, look across, look around, and then the postcard from the future, from the wider membership, was able to bring together the different areas and then from that start to pull together the strategy. I then presented this in March this year at the Leadership Away Day to the main leaders of FPM, so the board of trustees, the chairs of committees, and the heads of staff, and some of us, and then use that starting point to start thinking about FPM strategy in terms of where we're going. And we did, you know, the SWOT analysis, and we also did the ANSOF matrix in terms of looking at current products, new products, current markets, new markets. And so, you know, really rich, engaging, lots and lots of data coming out and then pulling that together and then taking that information and then start to hone it down into the key themes. And the key themes, and we call them pillars, were sustainability, trustworthiness and relevance. I don't want to lose track of those three. I want to come back to the three pillars. But before we get there, I can kind of see really clearly the symposium, the postcards, really exciting. And then there's kind of this mysterious cloud where we pulled it all together. If you can, just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. Was that you sitting there with it all, you know, sleepless nights, putting it on your wall? You know, one of the, almost one of those crime scenes from a detective, you know, with the lines and arrows. Or was it you and your team? How did that coming together actually happen? So when I had all of this information, so this was November 2021, and then I organized the Leadership Away Day for March 2022. So in that time, I'm pulling together everything, mm -hmm. right? I'm going through the data, and then I'm collating it under each heading. So with the look around, look ahead, I'm collating What's the key messages coming out from there? And similarly, with the postcards from the future, I pulled all that information together. And then for the Leadership Away Day, I presented it to the leaders to say, this is what was done. And this is what our members are saying. This is what the staff are saying. This is what you are saying, because, you know, they responded. So now the question is, how do we take this and use it to develop the new strategy? And there was a small group of the board of trustees that came together and worked with me to pull all of this together. And then I sat down with my senior management team and we put everything onto flip charts and we put them around the room. And we looked at them and then we had this guy come in who was external to help us. Yeah, and this is me and the senior management team. And he just started asking us questions in terms of, again, about who FPM is, where are we going? And then from that, we were just looking across 
And then it started to emerge. Well, actually, we want to be trusted, right? And then if you look at some of the things that were, he said, yeah. And so we took the things that were there and then we put them under, okay, that's about trust. And similarly, well, that's about, we want to be sustainable, right? We want to be sustainable in terms of our longevity, but also we want to work sustainably and address the emerging things about the environment, social equity, right? And governance, governance is such an important thing. So we have that one. And then also about relevance. Who are we relevant to? Because I mentioned earlier that FPM, um, the specialty, it is about developing medicines for global population. But if you look at much of our work to date, it's been focused on the UK. But really, we need to work globally. And we've got members in about 38 countries. What are we doing for our global members? And so one of the things that I formed in 2020 was FPM Global, which is a global forum that's going to address the needs of members who work outside of the UK. That is a really important focus. And that came under the relevance. Yes, we're relevant to the UK, but we need to be relevant to the global members as well because they're working to develop medicines for global populations. So that global perspective, really important to our relevance. So I want to see if I can get the last little bit of it. I'm sort of beginning to get the story of how all this worked, which is really great to hear. November, you do the sort of postcards, future, look around. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the look around, look ahead that was summer. That was about July. Oh, okay. So that's in July. July, July 21. I sent out the survey and that went to the board of trustees, to the committee chairs, to committee members and the staff. Then in November, you play it back. Yeah. Play it back and, right. and have postcards from the future. Postcards with the wider membership who came to the symposium. Yeah. Okay. And just throwing out the questions there. And it was interactive. Really, really good. It was interactive. And they were posting it in the chat, what they wanted. So it was a really, really good way of capturing. Plus, people were coming on. We were talking about it as well. Right. So that was quite good. And then I collated all of that information. And in the presentation that I gave in March at the away day, I'd collated all of that feedback, all of that information into a presentation, which I played back to the leadership team. Okay. And that's when you had the flip charts and somebody externally sort of pushing you. That was, that was later. So that was March, 2022. And then there was another meeting. Sorry, I've, I've missed out. There was another meeting of the leadership team again. Okay. In May, 2022. And from that meeting, this small group of trustees came to really think about from the technical point of view, from their perspective, what it is that FPM needed to do. So collated that information. Okay. And then with the senior management team, the executives, me and the executives, we gathered all of that, put it onto these flip charts. Mm -hmm. And that was July 2022. Okay. So if I've got it right, it took about a year from yeah. beginning to end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it, it, it seems to me throughout that, there was sort of a rhythm of reaching out with yeah. a provocative question or something, gathering the input, making sense of it, yeah. playing that back, 
seeing what you get, making sense of it, play, that that sort of rhythm. Yeah, it's really good how you put because I have you thought about it like that. I was just looking at it linearly, but yes, that's exactly it. At each section, I was playing it back, playing it back and getting a reaction. Does this make sense? This is what you said. Do you agree with it? Give me some feedback. You're sort of taking it the next step, the next sort of cycle around rather than just keep asking the same question. Marcy, if you don't mind my saying so, you could put me out of a job. <laughs> That's really, I think it's a great, really great design. Oh, thank really, you. Really very interesting. Thank you. And, and you said, you said um, somewhere in there, the purpose sort of came out. Yeah. Where did that sort of begin to develop? Did that come after the three pillars or almost before the three pillars? I would say before. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it was the first iteration with that look ahead, look around, because that's where the global thing started coming out more. And I started to see this recurring theme. Yeah. And I think that's where we started to cement the real purpose of FPM. And I think also you're so immersed in the day-to-day -day job that taking that time and space to really think about who are we doing this for and why are we doing it? That's so important. So kind of thinking about that journey you've been on, what would you say surprised you along the way? I think what really surprised me is that I learned a lot about myself in terms of my drive, my focus, and my tenacity to get things done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in terms of my credibility as well, through going through this process, I realized how much credibility I had mm -hmm. with staff and with members. Because you've got to remember, I mean, I was still fairly new chief executive. And, you know, there is this thing of imposter syndrome. <laughs> and doing this process helped me to overcome that. And also to trust my instincts as well. I mean, the postcards from the future, that came from a workshop that I attended. And I thought, this is really, really good. And so I'm very good at using tools from others because, you know, there are so many things out there. Why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> Use what works. Absolutely. Um, what's been the most difficult part? Most difficult part? When you're doing a process like this, it's marshalling the troops, as they say. Right? It's trying to keep to the timelines. Yeah. You know, pharmaceutical physicians, they're really busy people. I mean, particularly with the pandemic as well. I mean, some of them working 16 hours a day. Right? I mean, they're really busy. My priority is not their priority. <laughs> Right. And that's one of the difficult things. And you've got to be understanding. Yeah. And um, you send out reminders, but you don't want to hound people. So, you know, it's striking that balance. And it's also knowing when, you know, you're not going to get any more. <laughs> so just move on. <laughs> yes. I think that's one of the most difficult judgments to make, not only in leading an organization, but just in life in general. Yeah. Particularly this piece of work coming up with the strategy and getting clear on the purpose and what was that? What's the impact of that been on your leadership team? It's galvanized us as a team. Yeah. Before I started, there wasn't a senior management team. It's something I formed and been in a process of, you know, form a team. You got to storm. <laughs> 
and you go through many challenges and we are now starting to perform as a strong team. And this process, it was one of those pivotal moments that brought us together because we were working for the same objective, for the good of FPM. And we also realised that to effect that, we were the leaders that would be driving this and making it happen. So it galvanised my senior management team and also helped me with the board of trustees as well, because, you know, they're there to set the strategy. But, you know, they give the ideas, but underpinning most of the operational work, that's me and my team. We did all of that work. And it also revealed the ambition that we have with FPM. FPM, we're on a trajectory, right? It's got so much potential and we're just at the start of that journey. And our ambition is to modernise, transform and grow the organisation. And that is such a compelling and appealing proposition that it energises us and it gives us focus and I think that's what the impact has been. Before, if you look at some of the SWOT analysis and the weaknesses, and the weaknesses were, we're just not ambitious enough and old-fashioned and risk-averse. It was words like that. Yeah. And how have you changed? What have you learned along the way? In terms of confidence, I've grown. I believe I've grown into my leadership role. I am becoming the face of FPM, which is something that I do struggle with mm -hmm. because, you know, you've got the executive function, but you've also got the clinical experts. And for an organisation like this, you should be the clinical experts who are the face and we're there to support them because it's about the specialty of pharmaceutical medicine. But I can't hide my light under a bushel. <laughs> Mm, yes. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn and through my own professional organization, which is the Royal Society of Chemistry. I'm a fellow of that. And I've been appointed to the Inclusion Diversity Committee for that. And from 1st of March, I'm going to be taking over the chair, chairing the Management Interest Group. Yeah, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's really helped my profile. I was asked to join the editorial board of the National Health Executive. So in terms of my personal impact, growth in confidence, writing more visa articles, and, you know, I, I realise what I'm capable of. Mm, mm. What advice might you give to other leaders who are wrestling with their own organization's purpose or their organization's strategy? The advice I would give is, first of all, you can't do it on your own. It's not something you can impose. You might have the ideas. I could see, you know, this is what we need to be doing. This is where we could go. And I could race ahead and just drive everything. But I'd be looking back and I haven't got people with me. So you have to involve your people. You have to involve the staff, your trustees and other people like your beneficiaries and work with them, coach them, support them to help identify the purpose and to develop your values if you don't have values. Or if you do have values, revisit them, right? Are they still relevant? Are they still fit for what we do? If you think about the oil companies like BP and Shell, previously they were about extracting oil and providing oil for the world. 
But in the changing environment that we have, they've moved beyond that, right? They're now energy companies. And so with that, I imagine that their values have changed too. Yeah, yeah. What haven't we talked about? What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? Did I enjoy the process? <laughs> oh, but a brilliant question. Did you? I get a sense that you're one of these people who enjoys life. So did you enjoy the process? Yes, I did enjoy the process. Right. There were frustrations. There were moments of doubt. But I really enjoyed the process because I can see the output and the outcome and the impact that it's going to have. Yeah. It was good fun. The one I really did enjoy was that postcards from the future with the attendees. Just getting their input was fantastic and involving them. They were involved. Well, the ones who attended anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, but it sounds like if I've got the numbers right, you had a pretty good percentage of your whole membership, maybe not quite 10%, but that's a pretty good slice of an organization to be saying, this is where we think the future is. That's really fabulous. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Good. Marcia, I've enjoyed this. Hopefully you've enjoyed this too. <laughs> yeah, I have. And Belden, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm glad you could join us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.